And in chapter 13 tonight, very quickly, and then we'll uh, go on over to chapter 14. Uh, you wonder sometimes why God puts things like places and names, many of them, we don't know exactly where they are. And yet, I think the Lord uh, does many things, especially landmarks and so forth, just so that we have, um, we have, for one thing, surveyors, people that know about land, and they go out and they find those things. Well, that's what we want to see. Um, we, what I mean by that is certain things in the Bible uh, pick, pick certain people's minds. Uh, when you get into biology, people will get into the virgin birth or whatever. What, what makes it? Or, you know, or genealogies, of course, is a big thing. Or science. And they see that, and of course, we saw with, in the book of Acts how that uh, William Ramsey um, was so interested in just the landmarks of Luke that he put in the book of Acts. And he went over as a skeptic, and he found out that Luke was the perfect historian. Well, it wasn't that he was a perfect historian, that he was inspired of God. And whatever is inspired of God has to be perfect. And everything that uh, he looked at in Luke, he, he either found or, as, or he searched for and found out that it was true. Now, that is true in, in all the Bible. The Bible has to be uh, perfect when it comes to these different things, because it's inspired. And if the Bible says, if God says it's inspired, then he challenges you, prove it. You prove it. I mean, what other book in the Bible says prove it? And one of the things that uh, the liberals and people, unbelievers will do, is they'll go and say, well, see, since we can't find it, then it, it couldn't have happened. And one of the things I like is back in the days of Abraham, they talked about the Hittites. And in fact, he bought a field for his a burial site, for his family, for, uh, from the Hittites. And yet uh, they said well, that we can't find any Hittites. And that was back about 100 years ago. Well, somebody went over there and started digging around. And they found out that not only were there Hittites all up and down that region, but they were a trade route group of people that stretched all the way from Egypt to Greece. And so they, so it was one of those situations where if you can't find it, then, uh, then the, the Bible must be mistaken. No, if you can't find it, just keep looking around because you'll find that God's word is true. And so many times God will put these things in the Bible. Now, the one thing about this is as we look at this passage is we see there's going to be a lot of landmarks that are out there that uh, we just can't go through and give you a survey. In fact, if you want to uh, look at the division of the land, you can go to your Bible maps. Almost every Bible has Bible maps. And in that, you will see there will be, um, the they're in the times of Abraham, and then they will have the division of the lands in the Old Testament, the division of the land uh, in the New Testament with, uh, with uh, Galilee and so forth, which is not mentioned in the... Uh, in the Old Testament, so there's different, uh, different names for the different regions and so forth. But um, uh, we see that, uh, and they get those maps from, from these passages here. But there's, in chapter 13, now in chapter 12, he goes through all the cities, over 30 cities, that were um, conquered by 31 cities that were conquered. It tells us in the very last phrase of chapter 12, and he just goes through a list of all the things that God had done and had conquered these cities. But now in verse chapter 13, he says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, 
And the Lord said to him, you're old and advanced in years. <laughs> Isn't that good? I love the way the Hebrew does. It'll tell you that he's old and or they dream dreams. What else do you dream if you don't dream a dream? So, you know, whatever. So there's just different ways that the Bible, that the Hebrew rephrases things. So he was old and uh, advanced in years. So uh, the Lord says you're old or uh, you're advanced in years. And there remains very much land to be possessed. So that tells us that even though they had had these great victories, they're still mopping up, uh, uh, organ uh, uh, mopping up areas that you had to go through and possess the land. Now, this is true in any war. Um, I was, uh, there was a man, a general in World War II, I remember reading about, uh, he was always the guy that followed the big battles, and he uh, told the, uh, the next big battle that they had. He said, uh, don't give us the broom and dustpan. We want to be out there in front. Well, uh, I'm not so sure I'd rather be. I'd, <laughs> when it comes to war, I think I'd rather do anything I could do to help the country. But boy, being up there on the front line is not. Uh, well, anyway, well, I, I have my druthers. But at the same time, we know that uh, somebody's got to do all the dirty work, either the dustpan or out, there, out in front. But we see that uh, here there's still a lot more to mop up. Now, you don't, you're too old to do it, but these tribes that uh, you're going to now give them the land, you are going to also give them the responsibility to take their inheritance. Just as you crossed over, now these individual tribes must decide that they're going to take the land. You know, that's true in life. We can have a great revival, church-wide, city-wide revival, but you still got to go home and mop up the things in your own life, right? You still got to take care of your family. You still got to all these things. Yes, you can have a great sweeping blessing of the Lord, but yet we still got to go and take care of those pockets of resistance in our personal life and in the enclaves and different things in the church. And so we see that uh, this is just common spiritual warfare. And the Lord tells him, and it goes through, and he's going to talk about all these cities on the east side of the Jordan. Of course, Reuben, Simeon, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But then we see in chapter 14, where he goes and he says, These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest. And so now he's going to talk about the cities of refuge. And again, and the, the um, places that the children of, of, uh, of Israel is going to have. Now, then in verse, uh, verse 6, we pick up a very specific person because God goes back and he makes sure that he fulfills his promises. Then the children of Judah uh, came to Gilgal. Remember, that's where they were. That was their home base, base of operation uh, on the west side of the Jordan. And Caleb, remember Caleb? Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know that the word of the Lord uh, said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. Now, who is Caleb? And what did he do? He's one of those great pairs in the Bible, like Jonathan and David, and like uh, Saul, uh, Paul and Silas. Here you have what? Remember Joshua and Caleb. Okay, help me. Okay, this is uh, late at night. Okay, so uh, we won't sing the song right now, but let's see how fast we can do it. How many men went into Canaan? Twelve men, right? So everybody do that. Twelve men went into Canaan. 
Ten were what? Bad. And two were good. Can everybody do that? Let's do that. Everybody with me together. Ready? Twelve men went to Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. There's a little song that we sing with that. We won't sing it tonight. Okay, let's see how fast we can do it. Ready? Twelve men went into Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Okay, okay. so you exercise your fingers tonight. <laughs> One more time. Well, we better not. But, uh, but here we see that, uh, that Joshua and Caleb were the two good guys. And now we see that Joshua and Caleb, both of them are the two men that are going to specifically get an inheritance that's going to tell us exactly where it was. Joshua, of course, was, or was from the tribe of Ephraim, and he got his inheritance um, in a very prominent place in Ephraim. And he buried the bones of Joseph because Joseph was, of course, his father in Ephraim. And we see that uh, with, with Caleb, he chose a kind of a burial place too. He chose a place called Hebron, and we'll see in just a moment what that was all about. But uh, we see that he, that he says in verse, um, in ver- he says in verse 6 now, he says, the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word of the Lord, that he, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Remember, that was the place where they had sent the spies, or from, from where they sent the spies. And that was the southernmost tip of Judah, uh, what would later on become Judah. And they went through all the land. And they saw all the different things, and they came back, and they said, there's giants, and there's other things, but there's also, look at these grapes and all that. It was kind of interesting. Caleb wanted that grape area, the Valley of Eshcol and other things that were there, but he wanted a lot more. And so we see that he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, um, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him. Um, it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me and made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. Six times you will see that Caleb wholly followed the Lord or followed the Lord with all of his heart. And so he says it one time, but there's five other times that Caleb just did everything God told him to do. Now, we don't see him getting the ink that Joshua did. He didn't get the accolades, and he might not have had the gifts that Joshua had, but God remembers his faithful people. And we see that he spent 40 years in the wilderness knowing that he could have taken the land. You can imagine how frustrating that must have been. It must have been very frustrating to see people who, uh, that those 10 uh, other spies, that uh, they died in the wilderness, and all the other people. And he said, oh, could have, just what could have been, you guys. And so at the same time, he's, he's waiting now. And uh, he says, so Moses swore on that day, he said, surely the land where your, the foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord, the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive 
as you said, these 45 years. So that tells us 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, actually, 38 because you would take the first uh, two years as far as uh, and the, uh, down at Sinai. And so uh, we see now that he's 85 years old. Um, ever since the Lord uh, spoke to Moses while they wandered in the wilderness and said, Now I am this day 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as the day that Moses sent me. So I'm a, you know, I'm 85 is the new 40. I'm ready to go. And so this is uh, one of those inspiring uh, chapters and inspiring people in the Bible uh, that uh, for older people. As I said this morning, I've heard of several Sunday school classes of older people or groups or organizations of older people, and they call themselves Caleb's Kin or Caleb's, uh, you know, something about Caleb. And because, uh, you know, Caleb uh, just was, he wasn't going to slow down. Now he realized, I'm sure, that he wasn't physically the same. In fact, we'll see that he enlists uh, a, a future son-in-law and, and uh, some of the physical labor. But at the same time, we see that he's ready to take the Canaanites on full steam. And so we see that he's 85 years old. And he says, yet I'm as strong today as I was then. Notice in verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day about the Anakim, those were the giants who were there, and the cities which were great and fortified. So they, there's got a lot of uh, those smaller towns even have bigger uh, walls around them. And it may be, notice he said, I'm not sure about it, but uh, if God's taken care of them before, he can do it again. It may be that God will be with me and I may be able to drive them out uh, as the Lord said. So I am willing, I, I'm willing to take up God's, God's challenge. He said, go ahead and possess the land, so let's go. And if I can't do it, God can. And so I've got full confidence in the Lord. Look what he's already done. And we've conquered the land. And now there's still those giants down there. And I need to go in there and mop up. And I want a certain piece of land. And it was a very choice piece of land that he wanted. And so in verse 13, and Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. Hebron is the place that, uh, that Abraham dwelt whenever he came back from Egypt. It was the place where they looked down at the well-watered plain and Lot said, I'll go that way. And uh, Abraham said, no, I'll stay here. This is a great place, the plains of memory. And this is where Abraham was called the friend of God. And later on, we see that this is where Abraham buried his wife, after he bought the land from the Hittites, um, Sarah. And of course, then, his, then uh, Isaac buried Rebecca there. And then Jacob married, buried Leah there. Always kind of, that's always intriguing. His favorite wife was Rachel, but God honored Leah. You know, there again, God knows what he's doing, and God honors uh, those who are faithful. And it's one of those sad, bittersweet, stories in the Bible about Leah. I always have had my special place in my, in my heart for Leah. Uh, and so, and of course she bore him six kids or six boys and a girl. But here we see that, um, that this was a very special place. Burial places for Jews are always 
They've always been very special. That is why the Nazis, that's why any anti-Semitic group loves to go in and tear up Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, graveyards because they know the Jews. That's their heritage. They've been spread all over the earth. But the one thing that they have is that family, maybe two or three or four generations that they know. That's their one stability, especially before 1988, 1948. And so we see that uh, this was even back then, it became very special. We see later on with the, with the kings that the Lord said, you know, because I love you, I will allow you to be buried with your fathers or the other kings. But then when he was, when he reproved a king and said, you have been cast out, then he said, you won't be buried with your father. So even the Lord used that as a penalty. But here, Caleb, being um, from the tribe of Judah, was now wanting wanted the very heartland of Judah. He was wanting that place down um, in Hebron, which means fellowship, friend of God. Now, as you look at uh, Caleb in this whole area, um, we, you'll see that uh, um, if you look on your map, you'll see that Hebron, actually, it's a mountain range or a hill country, basically, but it's also a city. And uh, there was a city there that uh, was named Kareth Jerem, that, um, and, it was the, and the, it was the chieftain of the Anakim, the the head, the, the, big, the big guy, the father of the big guys. And uh, he took that city and, of course, uh, renamed it uh, Hebron, which means fellowship. But uh, there was a whole area there that spread all the way up into what later on became actually one of his sons. And you will see later that uh, he had a big family and that his daughter, uh, married a guy who conquered a lot of the land and conquered the Anakim also. But, uh, he had a, but his son, he had another son by the name of Salmon. And Salmon went up a few years, uh, a generation or two later, went up to a little area which was the breadbasket of Israel called Bethlehem, House of Bread. And if we read this right, if you go over to, uh, this is why it's so technical, and I don't want to get into technicalities tonight, but that's why these areas and these names and these lists in the Bible are so important. Because in First Chronicles, we see that uh, Caleb's son was named Salmon. And Salmon's was the one that tells us that he was the one who founded or built Bethlehem. But then if you go over to Genesis chapter 1, it begins with a genealogy. And guess where, guess who's in that genealogy? Salmon. And so there again, you go back and we think that uh, Caleb might, might have been even in the land, uh, in the area. Salmon begat Boaz. Boaz begat, you know, of Ruth and so forth. Uh, so we see that uh, these are all, that's how the Bible connects itself. Everything in the Bible is important. Some of it is more important than others as far as just preaching, but then there's a lot of it that you can go in and you can learn a lot about it. And that's the reason I go to, that's the reason I have a library, because I want to go on and find out those guys who surveyed the area. I want to find out the guys who know the area. Uh, I didn't learn, folks, I didn't go through that myself. I found that, you know, in, in books. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, well, yeah, I am not like that. I mean, I had a secretary one time at a school, and she spent, uh, and she, the next morning, I mean, my, our parsonage was right next to the, uh, to the church, and she rung my doorbell about 7.30 in the morning. I said, you're early this morning. She said, I never went home. I said, what are you doing? 
And she said, I couldn't find 10 cents in the budget. I'm going, you spent all night for 10 cents? You know, that's just the way some people are. They got to balance that out to the penny. And I said, I'll give you the 10 cents. Her way, you know, don't ever do that again. But there again, she's, that's the way she was. And so people are like that. Uh, people will get off into certain areas. And of course, we, we know that with baseball or whatever. People can tell you all the uh, batting averages of Mickey Mantle, uh, Willie Mays, and all the rest. But uh, there's just something about our minds that are different. And uh, praise the Lord, they are, because people like um, uh, William Ramsey wanted to go over there and find out every place that, uh, that uh, Luke listed. And there are people that have gone over and tried to find every place that is listed in the book of Joshua. That really is to our benefit, isn't it? Because it tells us the Bible is true. And that these were real people in real places with real boundaries and real actions. And they've never disproved any archaeology in the Bible. In fact, the Bible keeps proving, or archaeology keeps proving the Bible to be true. And so whenever you hear somebody say, well, this couldn't have happened because we can't find it. Just say, wait a minute, somebody will find it soon because the Bible says it. Because the Bible, whatever the Bible says is so. Amen? So it is inspired. And so we see that, uh, that uh, Caleb had a great history. And it was very special. Uh, and he was one of the heart of one of the key men. Even though he wasn't the great Joshua out there, my, his family had a tremendous influence on you and me because... From him came the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least Mary. Amen? So we see how that all, that all ties together. But uh, like I said, on a Sunday night, we can't go through all that because it will bore you and me both to tears trying to go through each one of those. But we see now that, uh, but he wholly followed the Lord and the land had rest from war. So it was the lot of tribe of the, chapter 15, verse 1, the children of Judah, according to their families, the border of Edom. And now he goes through the whole list of what I just talked about. Now, there's a couple of things I like to pick out that tells us something else. Not only was Bethlehem, or later on Bethlehem, but Hebron was uh, located in a very choice land. But uh, notice another, uh, there was one guy back a few chapters ago that, uh, that caused Israel a lot of problems, and he was not so famous. And uh, there was a valley of Achor in uh, chapter, uh, verse 7 of chapter 15. Where was the valley of Achor, and what happened there? It was one of those monuments of stones, remember? Who was buried at Achor? Remember Achan? And what did Achan do? He stole the Babylonian garment. So there weren't, not everybody in Judah was a Caleb. And so that's just one of those that you can pick out uh, as you would kind of go through some of those. But, um, and he goes through all the Western border and all these different things that happened from the great, so actually now you'll see that, um, that uh, Judah was to have everything south of Jerusalem all the way down to the river of Egypt, which was the Nile from all the way to the west and then all the way back over to the Dead Sea and to the border of Edom, which would have been south of the Dead Sea. 
Now, what group of people were there that the children of Judah never drove out and they always caused them problems? The Philistines. And so we see that uh, Caleb took care of his job, but one of the great, and uh, I like the, um, um, the book that William Morris, who was an archaeologist as well as just a great Bible teacher, um, and creationist anyway, and uh, he wrote a book on Joshua called The Depressing Days of the Judges because it, it lists all the failures of the children of Israel because they failed to do what Joshua told them to do, and that is go in and mop up and take the land. And they had problems with those people for the rest of their history. And of course, Goliath came from where? Gath, which was one of the five cities of the Philistines. But now, oh, uh, Caleb took care of the giants in his land. You never heard about them in Bethlehem or around Hebron anymore because it says, notice uh, in verse 13, now Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the uh, Judah according to the commandment of the Lord, uh, Joshua namely, Kareth Jerba, Kerjoth Arba, I'm sorry, which is Hebron, because Arba was the father of Anak. So it was the city of Arba, but so it was changed to the, to the name Fellowship because of Caleb remembering that this is the place where Abraham found fellowship with God. So it was called Hebron. And so Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. So he didn't have any problem with it. And uh, Sheshai, and uh, he even names the people. That'd be very interesting to find out what they can find, uh, uh, extra Bible materials that would even help us with this. But Sheshai and Amahim and Talmai, the children of Amnak. So he names the three boys that he drove out. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber, which is uh, uh, formerly the name of Deber was Kareth. Uh, Sefer, so that would be the city of, uh, of Sefer, and he drove a lot of people out there. In verse 16, and uh, Caleb said, he who attacks Kareth Shefer, or Sefer, um, takes it, I will give Exa, my daughter, to wife. Now, there again, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. This is back in a time where you didn't have a choice uh, about a lot of things especially women, and uh, they could be um, given as wives by their father. Now, that, uh, I, I would not want that responsibility with my daughter. I want her to be happy, and I'm not sure I could pick out the right guy for her. She thinks she picked out the right guy, and as far as I'm concerned, she did. You know, and uh, he's a Marine. I don't know how in the world she's going to marry a Marine, but, uh, but I won't get into that. <laughs> I was a sailor, so that's, that's one of those private things he and I go back and forth on uh, and kid each other about. But uh, he says, I will give my daughter as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. Notice, so Othniel, now later on you'll find Othniel again. He's the first judge. I remember there was no king in Israel in the book of Judges. And so God would raise up people like Othniel. And, he, and isn't it interesting, it's appropriate that one of the great first military heroes of the nation of Israel is Caleb's son, or son-in-law, Othniel. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took, so it was actually, this was his nephew uh, that um, took it, and he gave Aksa, his daughter, as his wife, 
And so now it was so that when she came to him, now this is interesting again. One of those little subtle things in scripture. These women weren't pushovers. And this daughter wasn't a pushover. And she was like her daddy. Notice she says, I want something too. Okay, if you're going to barter me off or if you're going to sell me off to this guy, and it looks like he's a pretty good guy. He's a good military hero, so that's good, Dad. But I want something out of it. I mean, she's pretty, she's pretty, out, pretty forward with her daddy. And I, I like that. Um, I'm not sure I'd like it if I, it was my... Well, anyway, let's not get into that. It just depends on the circumstances. But we notice he says in verse 18, Now it was so that when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for the field. So she uh, dismounted from her donkey, and, uh, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me a, a blessing. Give me this mountain. And now she's saying, Give me... Okay, you got the mountain, Dad. Now we need something else. So, she, uh, so you have given me the land to the south. So now, uh, like I said, Hebron was an area, and it was a kind of a, a hill country, uh, let's say like a county, and Hebron was also a city. And so, um, like Mobile, Alabama, is Mobile County. So, you know, it's got both. And so here you have Hebron, the city, and Hebron, the, the area. But uh, she says, uh, give me the land to the south and give me also the springs of water. Hey, uh, we, need, uh, we need the water rights so that we can, I mean, this is great farmland, but we got to make sure that we can control the water if you're going to give us this land. And so, so he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So she had the springs of living water she needed. And no wonder that whole area became the breadbasket of Israel. And of course, they had all the grapes. Grapes of Eshkol, or the Valley of Eshkol was down there. And that's where those huge grapes would grow. And even today, from what I understand, some of the great, uh, the citrus and some of the great, uh, the grains are coming from Israel. And they are, uh, they are the breadbasket of, of Europe. There is uh, something like 25% of some of the fruit, some of the fruits that come out, uh, come to, to, to Europe. It's from Israel, little old town, little old area. And so we see that, of course, up and down that area, all the way, God blessed all the way from Galilee down to Egypt in that area. And the people in Gaza could do, if they would not quit, quit building tunnels and get out there and learn how to irrigate and farm the land, they would have just as rich a time as anybody else. But they'd rather make war rather than make food, I guess. And so we see that the, but they had all this. And this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. And so then he goes, he talks about the cities uh, of the limits of the tribe of Judah, and he goes through and he names a lot of them. And, he, he, and just, I'll just pick out a couple of them. Uh, we see down in verse 28 that he says, Beersheba. Now, Beersheba, whenever you hear in the Bible, from Dan to Beersheba, it'd be like saying from Seattle to Miami, you know, all the way from one end to the other. Well, Dan to Beersheba meant from the very tip to the very bottom of the nation of the map of Israel. And so Beersheba would be the bottommost city of, uh, of Israel. And also look in verse 31, Ziklag. Remember Ziklag? It was a city of Judah. It should have been, but it was a city of the Philistines. 
because David had to go and he stayed there for a while, but other Amorites came in and took, tried to take it over. Uh, but uh, uh, it was an insecure city until David made it. Uh, but uh, remember, Ziklag was where uh, David left his, uh, his family and they went out to fight and they came back and found the Amorites had taken the city or whatever. And then he had to go and chase the Amorites to get his family back. That was uh, Ziklag. Um, then we see down in, chapter, in verse 39, Lachish, and we've seen Lachish before. That was that, uh, that outpost uh, from, you'd have to conquer Lachish before you can take uh, Jerusalem. And Sennacherib was able to take Lachish, but he was so weakened by the time he got to Judah. And then when the Lord got through with him with 185,000 dead, he didn't have a chance to take Judah and went back to Assyria. So uh, we see all these things that had happened. But now in verse 63, we see that the Bible tells us um, that uh, he says, um, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. Now that wasn't Hebron, that was all north of there. But the children of Judah did not drive them out, could not drive them out. And so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem till this day. And to what day was that? It had to be a day before David became king. Because what happened when David became king? He said, whoever takes uh, the city of, of Jerusalem, I will make them captain of my army. And that's where Joab went through and he took, he took the city. And so we see that uh, all, these, uh, all these things are interconnected. But two things you see here. You see brave men... So when God told them to do something, they just went ahead and did it. Uh, I think that God can help me. Now, if, if I get defeated, so what? But the thing about it, I, I don't think I'm going to get defeated. Because, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was an optimist like that, wasn't he? I mean, whenever they were saying things about him, even his friends were saying and other people that were preachers were saying things about him. He said, Christ is preached and I'm going to rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice. The cause is bigger than me. And of course, we all those terms that we hear, who can separate us from the love of God? Can life nor death, the things present nor things to come, can death nor life, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we see that Paul was always optimistic. For me to live, to die is gain. He was a man of great courage, and he was willing to be beat half to death, but he knew that God was going to give him the victory. And so we see men through the Bible. Here we have Caleb. Give me that mountain. You're 85 years old. Yes, but God promised me that mountain. Now, I don't know how I'm going to take it right now, but we'll figure it out because God said so. And so can we believe God when he tells us something? Does he say, I will never leave you or forsake you? You ever feel that way, that you've been forsaken? You haven't been. You ever felt like, uh, my, I can never get out of this mess? And yet God says, but God, thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we look for the victory or do we moan because of the circumstances? Do we look to a God? Is there anything that God cannot do? Or do we think God can never do this? Are we the person that says, you know, with God before us, who can be against us? Or everybody's against me and I just want to have a pity party. You see over and over again in the Bible where it's our minds. We talked about twisted minds. But, oh, stayed upon Jehovah. 
hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as he promised, what? Perfect peace and rest. Can we trust in victory in Jesus? Can we be like a Caleb? Caleb had a tremendous influence. He wasn't the, well, he wasn't the flashy man that God honored and everybody in the whole nation knew him and all that. He was just a man who followed Joshua. And yet, subtly, God used him and set up the basis in the very city from which the Lord Jesus would come and even some of his ancestors were part of the land, a line of the Messiah. That's influence, isn't it? Amen. I mean, you, who's Caleb? Just a man who followed God. Just a man who loved God. Not flashy. Didn't get the headlines. But just a man who said, if God, if God gives it to me, I'll take it. And God promises us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take it. Let's ask God for some real victories. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that for the optimism that you give us through your word. We thank you that there's nothing that you cannot do. And that if we'll be faithful to you, you'll lead us in the paths of righteousness, which is always right. You'll lead us into victory. You'll, you'll plant us by the rivers of living water. And Lord, you will, and whatsoever we do shall prosper in your hand. Might not prosper as the world would think. We might not become famous or rich or whatever. But all the influence you'll give to those who love you. Through their offspring, through their communication with others, through their influence. Oh Lord, make us a testimony of your grace and of your love. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.